Oh, it's been a good day to be in church this morning. I'm glad that you're here. I'm glad that I'm here. I'm glad we get to do this together, but I'm glad that our Heavenly Father uh, is present uh, this morning. A quick question I want you to think about. I want you to think, that may not be fun to think about, but I want you to think about the time and the place that you felt most out of place in your entire life. Anything come into mind? I don't know whether I'm brave enough to ask you where those places were, but I want you to think about one of those places that you just showed up and it almost made your skin crawl. You felt so out of place in that place. I was trying to think of a couple of those places. I don't know, it's a strange thing, but I think for me, one of the things that just came to mind is I remember when I was in high school, which, you know, could be like the entire, you know, six years, when I was in high school, um, when I, was in, when I was in high school, I had to take, I think it was the PSAT, and I had to go to a different high school to take the PSAT. And I just remember, I can still feel the feeling of walking into somebody else's high school. In fact, it was even a school that I had a bunch of friends that were at that school, but just being in a different school, not knowing if I was going into the right place, feeling like that entire place was staring at me or laughing at me or talking about me. So it kind of felt like my regular high school. But, <laughs> but just having that sense of like, it's sort of like my place, but it's not my place. And I feel so much out of place in this place. I want you to think about the passage of Scripture that we've been looking at as we've been working our way through 1 Peter. And I want you to kind of reflect back to the verses that we looked at last Sunday morning. When we looked at verse 9, it says, But you are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into marvelous light. You were once not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Oh, man, is that good news? Man, there's a song, I don't remember whether we sing it or not, I am who you say I am. That, 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 that is a word to us. This is who we are. Don't miss any of that. But just because we took the week off between last Sunday and this Sunday doesn't mean we don't keep rolling into the text because he says, you are a chosen race, you are a royal priesthood, you are a holy nation, you are a people for his own possession. You were once not a people, but you now are God's people. You've received, you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And the sentences continue to roll. He says, beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles. You see, we live inside of these two different realities. We are a blessed spiritual people. Hear that, know that, feel that, let that go deep inside of you. You are a blessed spiritual people. But as long as we live in this world, there's an element that we are out of place and that we are sojourners, that we are exiles, that we don't quite fit in this place. And he says, you are blessed. But you are also a person that doesn't quite fit inside of this world. In fact, this is the third time in 1 Peter that he has said, you are sojourners, you are exilers, you are a person who is passing through. That's the reason why we're talking about this sermon series about being a traveler, that this is not our home. This is not our home place. We, we have a place that we belong that's better, and we're not quite there yet, but we travel through this world till we get to that place. You and I 
are traveling in this world. And because we are traveling in this world, that means that believers in Christ will sometimes not fit in in this world. We are spiritual exiles, which means we're just visiting. And every once in a while, it will feel like we're walking through somebody else's world. It may look like our world, but man, we get some of that pushback. We get, we get some of those things that just, we know this isn't our home. And sometimes it's frustrating and we're going to get to that in just a moment. I want us to be reminded because the passage keeps coming back to this theme that we are spiritual exiles traveling through visiting this world because our real home the home that understands us and speaks our language is someplace else. But we're here for now. This is where we live now. God intends for us to be right here, right now. So let's think about some truths of what it means to be a spiritual exile in this world. Uh, the first thing that I want you to see is that living as a spiritual exile in this world is tough. Living as a spiritual exile in this world is tough. Let's, let's read that uh, together. Living as a spiritual exile in this world is tough. It's tough on a couple of layers. It is tough from, it is tough from an internal perspective. In fact, I want you to finish reading there in verse 11. It says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. I want you to know that one of the things that we struggle with as exiles, as, as living in a world that is not our home, is that there is an internal struggle that happens inside of us. And this word of God comes to us and says, listen, there are some passions of your flesh, some of the things that remain and are left over from this world that still connect and still light you up inside sometimes that are not of the things of God. They are the things of this world. They are the things of our past life and they still light us up sometimes. And he says, I want you to push those things away. I want you to push those things away, those passions of the flesh. And the reason why he says this, listen to this. He says that because these passions of the flesh, our, our body, our, our physical engagement with this world, wage war against our soul. See how, how that works? It is the physical things of this world that we can engage in the passions of our flesh. And what they are doing is that they are waging war against our soul. This past week we celebrated, we remembered the 75th anniversary of the D-Day invasion of Normandy. And I'm sure that some of you watched some documentaries, you saw some coverage about that, it reflected on some things in your life. And one of the things that was so profound about that D-Day invasion is that it was this mass of all of the Western democracies coming up against the Axis forces of, of Nazism. And, and all of these forces were coming and they were invading on the beach. And the bravery of those first men on the beach was followed by the second men on the beach and the third men on the beach. And the fact that it was days and days, waves and waves of all of this strength coming to force against those forces. 
Now here is what I want you to hear, is that when this passage of Scripture talks about the passions of the flesh that wage war against us, it is the same image of wave and wave of soldiers coming up against us. These passions of the flesh that wage war against our soul just continue to come up against us and come up against us, come up against us. And if we don't develop a mindset, an expectation, a commitment that says, I will push these away, then we will be overrun as we live in this world. It is difficult. There are passions of this world that wage war against our soul. It is not a small thing that we're dealing with. Your soul is on the line. But I also want you to know that living as a spiritual exile in this world is tough because of not just an internal struggle that happens inside of us, but because of an external struggle that we face as well. Here's the part that I really want us to get right. I want to get right and I want you to hear it right. I want to say it right to begin with. That being a follower of Jesus, I want you to hear all of this because we've got to get this balanced and we've got to get this right. Being a follower of Jesus means that we live with a target on our back sometimes. Now listen, I want us to hear the whole thing. Here's the balance of what happens in this world, okay? There are people that on this Sunday morning, June 9th, 2019, that are worshiping in secret because their lives are in danger to speak the name of Jesus out loud. There are people around the world today that are in prison today because they speak the name of Jesus in line out loud. There are places around the world today that they could not have the worship service that we are in the middle of where we had wonderful music and we sang to the top of our voices because they do not want to be heard by their neighbors. There are people today quite possibly that will be executed because of their faith today. That's real persecution that exists around the world. Now we have to be very, very careful that we do not, in this place, with these freedoms and these blessings that we have, that we cannot walk around the world claiming that we have the persecution that other people around the world have. We can't confuse the fact that some people simply disagree with us or don't like us is not the same thing as the persecution that goes on around the world. So there's a balance here when I say that being a follower of Jesus means that we have a target on our back we have to understand that we still live in the freest country in the entire world as it comes to religious freedom. And we need to have a sensitivity to the fact that there are some folks that really, really don't have the freedoms that we have. But this passage of Scripture still tells us that there is a timeless opposition that comes to the follower of Jesus Christ. This is that balance that I want us to get. We, we are not experiencing all of this persecution. We, we can't act like we are. But at the same time, it is timeless that when we follow Jesus, it comes with opposition. It comes with pushback. And why is that? Sometimes it's because they don't understand what we believe. Sometimes it's because sometimes it's because they don't like what we believe. 
Sometimes it's because they do understand what we believe and they understand that what we believe is that we submit our lives to the word of God, that we submit our lives to the lordship of God and, and they don't want to do that. Sometimes it is that our conviction feels like to them attack on their freedom. And because of that, there is pushback. There is opposition. Because of that, sometimes socially we feel that. There's probably not a person in the room today that hasn't felt some pushback socially because they either took a stand or because they didn't participate or they stepped back at a moment because of their faith. It's possible that your faith and your commitment to Christ has maybe even impacted your work. It's impacted you socially. Sometimes we feel this, this opposition to Christ sometimes comes as, sometimes it comes with being made fun of. Sometimes it's being made fun of from afar. Sometimes it's people that you're close to and that you love and that you care about that you can kind of hear snickering behind your back or maybe even closer than that. And it's frustrating. And it's heartbreaking. Sometimes our hearts break because sometimes we get so frustrated by the fact that it seems as though there are forces in this world that believe so opposite we do in terms of the values that we have that we believe come from the word of God and from God himself. It's heartbreaking. Sometimes it even feels unfair. But here's what it can't ever be. It can't ever be surprising. Did, did you watch Jesus' life? Did, did you watch the opposition that he faced? Did you listen to Jesus? Did you listen to the word that he's given to us since? Have you looked at the folks throughout the word of God? Being a follower of God, specifically through his son Jesus Christ, will mean that there is a pushback and an opposition in our lives. Listen, there's no real high five moment in this section of the message. It's just a statement of the reality. We live as exiles in this world. And because of that, we have an internal battle that we have to face. And sometimes we have to face opposition because there's a target on our back. Because we follow Jesus and this world hated Jesus. And so what do you think it's going to do to us? Sometimes living as a spiritual exile in this world is tough. But it's who we are. It's what it means to be a holy priesthood, a, a people of his own people, uh, a holy nation. That's what it means to be that. Now, I also want you to see in this passage, and I, and I want you to see it for yourself, is I want you to see that living as exiles living as spiritual exiles in this world is also gracious. It's gracious. I, I looked hard to try to find what, what's the right word that I wanted to find in this passage and, and I couldn't think of my own right word and so I looked back in the passage and I want you to notice that the word gracious appears two different times in this passage of Scripture. Now gracious is a great word. It's, it comes from the word grace. It comes from the word joy. 
It is the thing that God does inside of our life. It is the way in which he pours out his favor, his blessings to us that we don't deserve. Grace is the very oxygen of our spiritual lives. And I want you to see that he uses this word gracious as he speaks to us and of us. Because as we're living as spiritual exiles in this world, we are called and we are described as gracious, carrying that same oxygen that you and I live off of to those people who live around us. While we're thinking about questions and thinking about our own experience, here's a question I kind of wondered about. Man, we... We live in a world that can't seem to get along about much, don't we? We live in a world where you post on Facebook some type of a conviction. And the first couple comments you get will be high fives. But you go past five comments and there's going to be an argument in there. No matter what it is that you post. When was the last time you ever saw somebody change their mind? We we live in a world that just argues for a living. You turn on the TV, the whole structure of television news is to put two people or more on the screen and say, are you? The whole structure of social media is to put an opinion on the screen and say, argue. And you get to the workplace, you get someplace, and it's just argue, 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 argue. And yet, for all of that arguing, when was the last time you actually saw somebody change their mind? When was the last time somebody read a Facebook post and said, huh, now that's a good thought. Let me change what I believe about that. When was the last time you watched either MSNBC or Fox News and said, well, how about that? I never thought of it that way. Let me change my whole conviction about the way I see the world. Man, it almost never, ever ever happens but hear this you are to be a gracious force in this world because as spiritual exiles you can be the cause you can be the means by which someone changes their mind you see this whole change this whole transformation is the core of our faith We've talked about it from several different passages of Scripture. I was kind of thinking about it this week. You remember I told you, this was early, you might not remember this. You remember when I told you that my life is divided in two places before I ate chicken and waffles and after I ate chicken and waffles? I said my life has been changed. But we talked about on another Sunday the idea of going to a football game with your favorite team, cheering for that team, realizing the first half didn't go so well, and going at halftime and buying a whole new set of clothes so you could cheer for the other team for the second half. It's change. It's change. But listen to this passage of Scripture. It is talking about the fact in verse 12 it says, Keep your conduct among Gentiles honorable. Listen to this. Listen to this. So that when they speak evil against you as evildoers. Listen, 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 listen. So that when they speak evil against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds And glorify God on the day of visitation. This isn't just the day of of judgment. This day of visitation is the day in which their eyes get open. You live in such a way that these people who are considered as evil doers who are fighting against you. But your life lives in such a way 
that their eyes are opened. And they move from being people who are evildoers, who are opposing you, to being transformed people who glorify God. We live as spiritual exiles in this world, and that is an act of grace where we get to be part of people's lives being changed, where they move from being opponents to being folks who give glory to God. Listen, you know how I know that that's true? Is because every one of you who is a believer in Jesus Christ today who gives glory to God is a person who used to be an opponent of Jesus. And if that change can happen in your life, it can happen in your neighbors, in your family, in your deepest, darkest enemy. If that can happen in your life, it can happen in anyone's life. And in fact, that's what the Word of God tells us is supposed to happen. Is that you live in such a way that people will move from being opponents to Jesus to being people who give glory on the day that the Spirit of God visits their life and salvation. Now, the passage describes three different parts of life. The passage describes three different parts of life where this unfolds in our life. And, and we don't really have time to unpack all of these things. But it, but it talks about our, our, our life as a citizen. Remember all that stuff about the emperor and all that stuff in there. It, it talks about our life as a co-worker. It, it says that you have to honor your masters. Not, those that are, not just those who are gentle and kind, but those that are also difficult and hard. And then in the opening verses of the next chapter, and it says that, that you live as a witness, in, as a citizen, as a co-worker. And, and then in the beginning of chapter 3, it talks about you live as a witness, as a spouse, and as a family member. Now listen, in all of those places, you have the opportunity to live your life in such a way that makes someone more likely to follow Jesus. There's quite a bit of emphasis here in terms of the politics and in terms of the government structure here. But what I want you to know, this is not a government structure that says we cheer for a particular result. But it says that, listen, make sure there's nothing that's happening in your life as a citizen that stands in the way of someone else becoming a follower of Jesus. Don't let your relationship with government hinder somebody becoming a follower of Jesus Christ. Don't let your relationship with your boss or your coworkers hinder someone becoming a follower of Jesus Christ. Do not let the way in which you interact with your spouse be a way that hinders someone becoming a follower of Jesus Christ. Your life as a witness, as a drawing people to Jesus, matters above everything. It matters above your politics. It matters above your work situation. It matters above your own family. How can my life as a citizen, a co-worker, a family member, how can my life exude the spirit of Christ, the grace of Christ, the graciousness of Christ, in such a way that makes someone more likely to follow Jesus. You see, here in this early chapter, here, here in these early days of the church, man, they were surrounded by lost people. They, they, they were, 
I mean, we, we can't even imagine how isolated they were inside of that Roman Empire to be a follower of Jesus Christ. In these early days, they, they didn't celebrate Christmas. That wasn't a holiday that had been invented. But I promise you, there was nobody that they would have known that would have wished them Merry Christmas if they had. It was a pagan world. Their government did not point to Jesus. Their workplace did not point to Jesus. And chances are, they may be the first person in their family that followed Jesus. So how can you live your life in a way that draws people to follow Jesus? That's what matters above everything else. I would also tell you that living as spiritual exiles in this world is the least that we can do. Living as spiritual exiles in this world is the least that we can do. How do we have influence as citizens, uh, as co-workers, as spouses? How, how, do we, how do we have influence in there? Uh, let me just mention a few things that are in the text. And, and if you were to highlight, these are verses that I've actually highlighted and I don't always highlight. But we are to live differently. That's verse 12. We are to live generously. That's verse 15. For this is the will of God that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Don't tell them that they're foolish people. Just, you know that. You don't, don't do good. I'm only doing this to you because you're a foolish person. That's not going to work, okay? It's a strategy. But, but we live differently and we live generously. And then look at verse 19. We live beyond suffering. We live beyond suffering. For this is a gracious thing. There's that word again. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. Man, sometimes there is a train of words in a sentence that I don't like. Here's a train that I don't like. Sorrows. I don't like sorrows. I mean, pretty much, if I were to make an order for the week, I would go no sorrows. You know, I'll take a, a week full of uh, fun and activity and hold the sorrows. And then it says, because of sorrows that we suffer. I mean, like, really, if I don't want sorrows, I really don't want suffering. And then the caboose on the train here, on the, on the, on the word train here, is when we have sorrows because we suffer unjustly. In fact, the passage says, listen, you don't get any brown, brownie points because you suffer because you did something wrong, that's life. He said, but here's the gracious thing. When you have sorrows, because you suffer unjustly. Sometimes when we live as spiritual exiles in this world, we will have sorrows because we suffer unjustly. And isn't there a part of us that says, no way. That stinks. That's not fair. I don't want any part of that. No, no, no. That's the opposite of what's supposed to happen. I'm supposed to be a follower of Jesus. I'm not supposed to have sorrow. I'm not supposed to suffer. And it's certainly not supposed to be unjust. Wait a minute. I'm getting ripped off here. What went wrong there? And then Peter says, remember Jesus? Remember his life? He begins it in verse 21. He says, for you have been called. 
He says, for you've been called because Christ also suffered for you. Leaving an example so that you might follow in his footsteps. He committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to the one who judges justly. You want to talk about a person who is a spiritual exile in this world? He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were like straying sheep, but have now been returned to the shepherd and the overseers of your souls. Jesus did this so that you and I can be rescued. Are you willing to carry some sorrows, some suffering, even some injustice so that you can point someone to Jesus. That's part of what it means to live as spiritual exiles in this world. We're a holy nation, a royal priesthood, a people of his own possession. That all ties together. We are here to be that holy nation, that royal priesthood, so that our suffering, our sorrow, and our injustice will point people to Jesus. Let's pray.